So I think I have this correct. Uh, the only time that, ke uh, that Kevin ever cancels uh, Frisbee or disc golf, Frisbee, that was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> you can tell where I, well, how much I played. Uh, disc golf is in a hurricane. So you guys are all set for today. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens. Even snowstorms are good. Uh, I think I've been out to Rolling Hills where they're playing in the winter. So, you know, you can see the disc a little bit better that way, unless it gets buried in the snow. Hey, would you stand with me as we read this passage this morning for today's message? Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You may be seated. Thank you for standing to honor God's word this morning. Well, we're so glad that you're with us, whether you're in person or you are online at Ipsy Free. We are a gathering of people who journey to learn what it means to follow Jesus as we bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. This, in short, means that we learn to live and love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we're glad that you've joined us to do just that this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. I have the privilege to have my mom here to be able to celebrate Mother's Day with her. And I'm grateful for her and for all the mothers out there who have come alongside my mom and my dad through the years and have kind of helped to hone me in, make sure I was reined in. That was part of their job and part of your job, too. If you're a mom or a mother to, in some form in somebody's life, you have that responsibility, especially, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. There are some specific words to you ladies, not just to mothers, to ladies about your role in leading others in the way of the kingdom. Well, last week, Jesus told us who was in the kingdom and who was blessed. It's not the, generally the people that we would invite to a party. In fact, there are many times over throughout the Gospels that Jesus does this to us. He gives us a, a, a pattern of living and a pattern of those who are in and the people that are included into the kingdom that just wouldn't be on our list, right? I mean, you know, how many people do you want to invite to your party kingdom who are just they're also doing this mourning and crying i mean but he does why because he is the great comforter and so shall we some of you i believe walked into last week not knowing that you needed this message the message from last week you walked right into uh, persecution you walked right into some mourning you walked right into something that you needed and the lord provided that message for you not not just because it was me, but be because of you. And that's God's way of taking care of you. That's God's way of blessing you. So if that blessed you, that was from the Lord. Well, we continue this week in Matthew chapter 5, as we just read. 
And we need to take a little journey backward, as we normally do, to understand what Jesus is kind of conveying, even in the Sermon on the Mount, even in this place of, of you know, transforming the way our human flourishing is, is to be. So Matthew records Jesus saying those words to those seated on the mountainside. Those that were seated, if you remember, are not just uh, general people, populace in the culture. And they are that too, but they're specifically his disciples. And then everybody else who had tasted a little bit of the kingdom have been, are sitting around him. And um, he begins to speak to them about this idea of being the salt and the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But this is not the first time that God has ever spoken to people about being maybe the salt of the earth, but definitely not the light of the world. In Isaiah 42, it says this, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. Now, who is the you that he's talking about? He's talking to Israel, and he's talking through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, I have called you to demonstrate my righteousness, and I will take you by the hand and guard you. Uh, Some of you needed to hear that this morning, that God is your guardian if you take him by the hand. There's a definite connect you need to get. And I will give you, give, you, give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. The nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will, you will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. Through Isaiah, God is reminding his people that they are been, have been called out and have been summoned by him, have been chosen by him to be the light of the world. If you're wondering why Isaiah had to bring the, why God had to bring this up through Isaiah, Israel was not living as the light of the world in this moment. In fact, the scripture that we read earlier, that actually Abigail read earlier and we listened to and hopefully we started to digest a little bit, was the word to Israel about, hey, you're not living up to my love. You're really, it's just this idea, you're not living up to my love. You're not taking care of orphans, you're not taking care of the widows. You can go through all the mechanics of being religious, but if you don't have a relationship that develops your heart and changes you, you're not living for me. And this is the, the, really the whole of what it, what's happening in Isaiah. Some of you are may be wondering whether God's desires for you to be hospitable, not only to uh, your friends, those you love and like, um, and some of those, sometimes it's harder to like somebody than it is to love somebody. Have you gone through that, right? But God also wants us to, uh, wants us to be the people that others encounter in order to know Yahweh, to know the creator, God himself. And it's not just found in the New Testament. This is a crazy thing. We often get this idea, oh, God's the only one, it's the only time he's ever called us to love our enemies. No, not at all. Leviticus 19.34 says this, the foreigner residing among you, right, he's talking to Israel, must be treated as your native born. What a word, right? They don't look like you. They don't speak the same language as you. They're maybe even a different skin color than you. Let's just go that far because that was the case. Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt and I am the Lord your God. God calls them, calls us to love 
even in the midst of the injustice that sometimes we're served in. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Do you remember those days when maybe you don't? And if you didn't have a mom or a a dad this way, um, let me tell you, it can happen this way. But maybe you had uh, uh, those days in school where you knew that there was stuff going down at school that wasn't good, or your mom and dad definitely knew that stuff wasn't going down that was good. And they would tell you, hey, 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 don't treat others as you're being treated by them. Just don't do that. Don't hit them. Don't curse them. Be kind to them. This idea of the golden rule of living, right? This whole Jesus thing. Treat others as you would want to be treated. This is, what Jesus, this is what God has wanted to happen through his people all along. But then when we treat people with, you know, just insolent ways of conversation and comments, we don't treat them with love. But where does this all come from? Before we even get to Matthew, where did this all come from? Well, I would say that the garden, but let's just skip a little bit. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, There's this conversation that God has with Abram. He's calling Abram out, and then he tells Abram to do something. He says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So when we arrive in chapter, chapter 5 of Matthew, they didn't have chapters back then, so if, if you're wondering, as it was written, when we arrived at this spot, Jesus isn't speaking out of a void. He's not speaking anything that they did not know probably in some way, shape, or fashion, but they definitely were not living into. And some of you might go, well, certainly they weren't. They were living oppressed. That's exactly right. They were living oppressed. And he said, look, you don't, you don't treat them in the same way. It all comes from this, this call to be a light to the world through Abram, who became Abraham, and to lead the way to Yahweh or to God himself. So as we turn our attention to Jesus and his words, we can begin to get a flavor of what uh, those who were sitting around, e- even those that maybe didn't go to uh, rabbi school, they knew because mom and dad had taught them at home. They knew because they had gone to, they had gone to synagogue. They had, had been delivered back. That, hey, this is, this is how God wants us to treat other people. This is the message that comes from the Torah or the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament for us. Calls us to treat them in the same way. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What do we know about salt? Well, help us understand what what Jesus is trying to say and what God has always tried to say to us. Well, salt, salt is about purity. It's about purity of life. So one aspect is this idea. Jesus is calling to live our lives in purity. A holy God, somebody who is distinctly different than us, who does not sin, does not do things out of a wrong motive, of, out of a wrong heart. He always does things out of a motive of love and always is moved in that. He calls us into holiness. And, and it's the way we were originally designed. When he, when he made 
when he created, if you will, Adam and Eve, the whole design was out of love, that they would learn to love and love those around them and care for the very things that were around them, and yet that fell quickly by the wayside in Genesis chapter 3, right? Sin entered the world, but he calls us out, and he says, look, you are to be the salt of the, of the earth. Salt's a, a fairly pure element, on the, if you, as I understand it, and we're to be called into the same type of purity. It's not completely pure, but it's very close. And he calls us to live and act and be the same, very same way. Why? Why does he call us into this, this life of purity, this life of holiness, this life of being separate from those around us who, well, live different than God? For flavor. For flavor. I think our ability to have purity only adds to our flavor. So the, the best, better salt that you have has this, this, this clean, distinct flavor. It's the same way with a lot of other things in life, right? So that you have a, just this ability to have flavor in, to the world around you and the culture around you. And I believe that the world around us, the culture around us, your neighbors that do not yet know Jesus, and yes, I said do not yet know because God wishes for you to tell them, to show them, to be a demonstration to them, they're, they're hungering for the taste of, the, of you being the salt of the earth. It's our opportunity to bring fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in every situation. To bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Yes, I said it, self-control. When we don't think we have any, the power of God gives us the ability to have self-control. And we become the salt of the earth in in situations where other people probably or may not be able to, right? How many of you like salt? Yeah, even those of you online, raise your hand. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I saw you, thanks. So some of us here, though, we like salt so much, we've been told to curtail our salt consumption. But if I know human nature well enough, some of you are really disciplined, but some of you find it really hard to resist on certain things. So I'm going to ask you, what is the one thing that you enjoy eating that enhan- with salt on it just enhances the flavor? What's the one thing? Online, I want you to fill that out in the comments. I want you to go ahead and put it in the comments. Yep, you're going to drive everybody online hungry. We can't see it, so sorry about that. I can, anyway. So what is it? I'm going to ask you to name it in three. Ready? One, out loud, everybody. One, two, three. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. So there's this one dessert. There's this one dessert that Kathy makes my wife makes at Christmas time, and it's, uh, I wasn't going to say this, but I have to say this. We call it Christmas crack. <laughs> it's, it's, you just can't resist, and it's dark chocolate, it has pretzels, but then there's coarse salt that's added to it. Now, anytime you put uh, dark chocolate, for me, dark chocolate and coarse salt together, you know what happens, right? And it, it, whatever you said out loud, maybe for you as popcorn or a steak or something like that, I don't know, all of those, all of the above work for me too. So, but it just brings out, it enhances the, the food that you're eating, doesn't it? It brings out what's already in there to, a, to a, another level for your taste buds, for at least for many of us. And that's exactly what I think Jesus wants to have happen, 
have us to be for the world around us. I really do. I think he wants us to bring out the flavor that's already captured in people. Right? That he's already placed his thumbprints on them, he's made them, he's created them, and he wishes for us to be that salt that is scattered. How many of you like to eat salt right from the salt shaker? Oh, there's a couple of you. I am sorry. That is just way too much salt, right? But truly, salt that is scattered, right, it enhances the flavor. There's a few of us, right, that like that. But it's our opportunity to allow others to encounter, and then we pray and hope with all diligence to, to engage and taste Jesus in that, right? To, to win them with our love and our joy and our kindness, even in the midst of maybe being treated not as we should be. And that's right, maybe not as we should be. I know I have been redirected, and maybe you can think about this too, especially those of us who have been married a few years. We have been redirected by God's flavoring his salt maybe in our spouses or other people have come along. We find, oh, whoops, I'm off track. I'm not right on. And the Lord redirects us not in, a, in, in smacking us around or giving us a spanky. He just, he shows us what it can be, right? But salt is not only purity, flavor, but it's also a preserve, right? It's also a preserve, or preservative. Salt is used often in curing processes. And just as in the curing process of whether it's meats or vegetables that you're trying to hold, we too are to be as God's people, as followers of Jesus in our culture, in our world, we are to be that preservative, right, that comes along and reminds people and continues to bring in the kingdom in its way. So we have to ask ourselves, Jesus is speaking to them about, you know, being the salt of the earth. We have to ask ourselves this question, what good is a follower of Jesus who is not bringing, it should be bringing purity, flavor, and preserving any preserving presence to the culture? What good is a follower who doesn't bring that? It's not any good. N.T. Wright says this, God had called Israel to be the salt of the earth, but Israel was behaving like everyone else. With its power politics, its factional squabbles, its militant revolutions, how could God keep the world from going bad? The main function of salt in the ancient world, if Israel, his chosen salt, had lost its distinctive taste. He's calling them out. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do I bring purity? You know, when I'm living and, and, and shining Jesus, do I bring purity? Am I desiring that? Do I bring flavor? Do I bring a preserving presence to the world around me? He also says to us, you are the light of the world. Just as he was saying it to them. What, I don't know how many of you use film still. I mean, in a camera. Yeah, none of us use film anymore. It's kind of this creative art form. It didn't used to be, right? So if you remember this 
there's a roll of film you used to put in a camera, and if you didn't load it right or it got dislodged, you, you, you shot up the whole roll, but then didn't get any pictures. But if you were able to shoot the whole roll, you had pictures, and they would pull those negatives out, right? And somebody who understood the whole process of creating those negatives into pictures would go into a, what kind of a room? Dark room. Yeah, a dark room. They would go into a dark room. They didn't, they didn't want any light. In fact, uh, what I remember is that you know, there would be a light on the outside of the room that would be basically be on, right, to tell people, hey, don't enter. You're going to ruin my film. You're going to ruin my creative process. But what happens if they did open the door while that was happening? It would ruin all of those negatives, it would destroy, well, not the negatives, but it would destroy the pictures that were being developed in that process because light had entered into the room. Now think about that. You are the light of the world. He says this because light invades. Light invades. Darkness is, is penetrated, if you will, by a single camp candle. If we were to shut all the lights off, we were to blacken this room, and I were to light a candle, the darkness would not overcome it. We know this. But how long have we meditated on this thought that, whoa, wait a second. He says, you, we, are the light of the world. That it's, that's the light that he puts within us always and will consistently shine as we stay connected to him, that nothing can extinguish it. That wherever we go, we shine a light, right? Light always invades a dark space. Always, always, always. I think some of us live in fear of the darkness overcoming the light within us. I think Jesus is trying to tell you, you don't have to worry about that. If you're living in purity... If you're living for flavor, if you're a preserving presence, you're going to be a light to the world. It will not be overcome. We also know that light illuminates, right? I mean, this is kind of natural. It illuminates. Jesus tells, Jesus tells them, as, he, as God told Abram, you are a city on a hill, that your nation will shine for the rest of the world. Everyone will be able to see you. A sitting on a hill, or a candle, a torch becomes a guide to those seeking them, even at night. Now think about this. I've, I've been camping a few times, and if you leave just a single light on in your campsite, and everything else is dark, you know, obviously the sky's illuminated, you can find your way back to your campsite. Isn't that amazing? It's the same way with you. If your light is lit for Jesus, people can, if you're, if you're willing and if you allow, if you connect your hand with him, they can find their way home. They can find their way back if they so desire. Again, I, I want to remind you that Israel was to be the light. They weren't the light they didn't live into being the light. Again, my friend N.T. Wright, 
He's not really my friend. I'd like to claim him as my friend, though. Israel was the people through whom God intended to shine his bright light into, into the world's dark corners. Not to simply show up evil, but to enable people who were blundering around in the darkness, in the dark to find their way. But what if the people who are called to be the light bearers had become part of the darkness? That, that was Jesus' warning and also his challenge in this passage. Jerusalem, the city set on a hill, was supposed to be like a beacon of hope to the world. His followers were to be like that. Their deep, heartfelt, heartfelt keeping of God's laws would be a sign to the nations Signed to the nations around one that one God, the creator, the God of Israel, was God indeed, and that they should worship him only. Right? That was their call. And yet we know that they failed that call. But Jesus is the light. We know this to be true, right? Isaiah 9, 2 says, says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This passage of Scripture is not only seen in Isaiah 9, 2, but we also see it in Matthew chapter 4, where it is spoken of about Jesus, that he has dawned, he has come into the world. Jesus is the light, but he passes this light off to you. You are the light. If you've decided to follow Jesus, friends, you must take Jesus' words of just, I mean, they're positive. You are the light. If you live in him and live for him, you are the light of the world. You possess that light. See, Jesus' followers play a visible role in culture as couriers of the kingdom of God. We have to there's no other way. We have to be that light, those light barriers. Stanley, Stanley Hauerwas says this, to be salt, to be made light for the world is a call for the church to be visible. Matthew challenges all attempts to make invisible what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, we're supposed to be visible representations of a kingdom that is now and is yet coming. How is that to be? Well, we are called, as, as, a, as someone has said, to help human flourishing in the way God designed and desired. Some of us do it by mentoring or through support or through encouragement. But let's just ask this question. How do we become the salt and light community? You see, the idea that it's you doing it is a fallacy. Anytime scripture speaks of you, it really is speaking in the plural. It's we. It's we. So how do we become salt and light, the salt and light community? In the same way, it says in Matthew 5.16, Jesus tells us, he's a good teacher. He doesn't leave us hanging here. In the same way, let your or our light shine so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How do we do that? In this case, in this place, and at this time, he says your good deeds. Your good deeds show the Father to the world around you. So in the last week, can I just tell you what we did together? And that what you, we can continue to contribute to and where we want to grow? We had the opportunity to go to Esperit last week. 
Maybe you didn't go, but we did. And we were able to encourage teachers who have been just pouring out day after day in this whole pandemic. You've been struggling. They have been struggling. And we are grateful to be able to come, be able to be in the school, literally, and to be able to love on them and care for them. We became an encouragement to them. That's simply it. We, we, we were a part of National Day of Prayer as one other activity. We were downtown Ypsilanti with other churches in our area who want to see the kingdom come to our area. Ipsy, Ann Arbor, Washtenaw County, the world, we did that together. But how do we do that? How do we live out the light when we sometimes don't feel like to be the light? How do we live out being salt when we don't want to be salt some days? But we're called, we're summoned, and surrendered to it. Let's do this. The power to live out the love of Jesus and his kingdom is from the Holy Spirit. Remember, I want to remind you, friends, on that Pentecost, on that Pentecost day, the Holy Spirit came in a power. And as Melanie said earlier, the Spirit of God was deposited and boundaries were broken. We carry the power of Jesus within us. We have the ability, just as we have the ability to be the salt and the light of the world, to carry it if we so choose. It is a choice, a daily choice. But how? How do we carry it? How do we reignite the flame, if you will? How do we become more salty, you know, or replenish our saltiness, if you can? I think you can. Maybe not in the true salt sense, but I think you can. And it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a little bit of a surprise to you of how this is done. But I think it's essential for us to understand this. I think it's through gathering. I think it's through gathering. And what do I mean there? I mean specifically when we gather with people who are fellow believers in Jesus and we worship Jesus together. That we come together communally and we do this to remind ourselves and renew ourselves on the truth of God. But what else happens when we come together? Well, we, we allow, allow the Holy Spirit to draw us and allow us to encounter Jesus Christ. We allow the Holy Spirit. That's what we do here. We, we surrender, we submit, we bring all of our stuff, as Pastor Melanie said it, a little while ago, we bring all of our stuff and we go, here it is, Jesus. Here I am again one more week. Here it is. And we give it to him. But what happens in that space of time? Well, the incredible thing is this is what can happen if we so choose again to allow it to happen. We learn to trust one another in our crying out for our needs. When people come to the altar, when people need prayer and we lay our hands on them, we are joining with them in heart and mind and soul. When we hear their heartache in a small group or in, in those times of community, we get to join in with them and we have the wonderful opportunity to remind them as, they, as we interact with them and they sometimes remind us, oh, you remember Jesus, he loves you, he knows your plight, he knows where you're at. 
Oh, he's with you in it. When we're separated, yeah, we need to be in the word. We need to be with Jesus. We need to do that individually. But it's only communally where I think the, really the, we, we sense and see the power and the presence of God in a mighty way. We need both individual, but we need the communal gathering to remind us of this stuff. When we get visions, we get dreams, we get insights to step out and to be the salt in life of the world. See, we risk with each other here so that we can ri- so we will risk for others there. See, if we can't risk, if we can't risk sharing our lives with one another in this space and within small groups times, we'll never risk ourselves out there. It'll never happen. We tell about our heartaches. We tell about our sins. We grow in purity. We grow in flavor. We grow in this persevering presence that our world desperately needs. So friends, here's just a small practice. A practice you can start here. Take home, but that you can bring other people into them with you. Practice this. Ask the Lord who you can pray for and with each day. Start it here, right? Start it here. And then look for them. I believe that God will show you. I mean, literally, when you get up in the morning, say, Lord, who do you want me to pray for and with today? You're going to be out and about if you're going to be out and about. And he may say, there's going to be a person with a yellow raincoat, There's going to be a person that's going to be at the water cooler. They're going to say this. I believe in the Holy Spirit be able to give you that, that ability to see who you can be the salt and light for this week. It's just a small practice that while you give of yourself here, you you risk there. And yep, those person, that person that the Lord may give to you, they may go, uh, how do you know? You say, oh, there's someone that loves you so dearly, you would never imagine. He has led me to you. And you can share about Jesus. Worshiping here leads to our ability to risk out there. Friends, we need to be a people who gather, gather with intensity of not just to come and see each other and have good fellowship and maybe even some good food, but with the hunger to staying on the edge of what it means to be the the salt and light community for the world, for our own community, and for those around us. So let's go be the salt and light community this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am grateful. I'm grateful that you call us. You call us yours, first and foremost, your children, sons and daughters who have chosen to follow you. You call us into a mission to love in ways the world hungers for, the way your son described as being the salt of the earth. Some need to see we're called to be the light of the world, city on a hill. Lord, would you lead us? Even now as we As we wait in these moments, Lord, and we're praying, Lord, who do you want me to pray for even today, before I even leave this room, 
before I even leave this building, there may be somebody, Lord, you want me to pray for or that maybe I'm encountering in this, you know, in this day, you know you want me to pray for them. Lord, would you give us that image? Would you sear it on our hearts? Would you show us so we can share you with the world? Father, I'm grateful that you call us. You call us out, reminding us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, reminding us that the darkness will not cover us, but we expose, we illuminate, we add flavor. We're the persevering community that brings a preservative of your kingdom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.